60 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kenny. You have 60 seconds to comply. This is minute 86. Part man? Part machine. Or oh, part. part. This minute begins with Leon firing after Robocop and ends with a car chase between Lewis and Bodica. And we have a guest. My friend. Uh, it's been a while. It's, it has been a while. Uh, I, I actually bought someone who is definitely smarter than both of us and has Ooh. the accreditation to prove it. He is oh. the host of the Cinema Catch-Up Club podcast. Uh, I probably couldn't list all your achievements without dragging this on for another hour, so I'll just introduce you as Dr. Stephen Platts. The one question I need to ask you, is Stephen with a V or Stephen with a PH? Uh, it's actually Stephen with a PhD. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I had to set that one up. Thank, Thank you. you for joining my podcast for a change. Yeah, it's lovely. It's it's quite nice being in the in the guest seat. Um, I've I've had to do basically one minute of research, uh, which was nice <laughs> uh, as compared to what you normally have to do. And uh, yeah, it's it's lovely to be here. Mm. Yeah. So for those who don't know the. Cinema Catch-Up Club's really interesting that uh, you get a person who has seen the film, a person who hasn't seen the film, you do a little preamble, watch the film, and then chat about it. And it's a ton of fun. I've been on both both sides of that seat, uh, and uh, yeah, I always had a good time with it. Oh, Except maybe you. Sweeney Todd. Well, it's a great yeah, concept. But, I mean, yeah, the, the fun thing as well is, is you get to see films that you wouldn't otherwise... Um, be be made to see i i find i'm really bad at watching films just for you know the sake of enjoying them which i think is how you're meant to watch films so, <laughs> yeah um, wow that's actually very relatable <laughs> yeah no no you're supposed to watch them one minute at a time like us oh okay well yes it, no, takes whereas... you, it takes you a few years but yeah admittedly i mean i should say uh full disclosure we we have done robocop it was actually yeah. uh one of the first films we did i think episode 14 which was about six yeah. years ago and um, we we did robocop what what number are you up to now? Um, ooh, yeah, that that's taxing me. Uh, just pulling up a little spreadsheet. And I know it's over. Th- I know it's over a hundred. It's going to be getting close to. It's over three hundred. Um, we are at. I believe we are at, at the time of recording. Uh, we have recorded three hundred and twelve episodes. Um, because yeah. we have we uh, just recently recorded an episode for Spider Man Into the Spider Verse. Um, so ooh, so, so for our. Yeah, for our podcast historians, that's where we are in the timeline. <laughs> yeah, well, this is going to be coming out sometime in the future, because uh, we, we've, we've been on a bit of a hiatus, and so we're yes. starting to slowly record the backlog. <laughs> I, I guess it's tradition um, for minute-by-minute minute guesting. Tell us a bit about your history with Robocop, then. I mean, beyond just the, uh, the podcast. Well, I, I think like all people who were born... Um, in the late 80s and early 90s, Robocop was something that was relatively accessible on VHS. Um, <laughs> and it, it was one of those films, a bit like um, the like the Predator films, that stand out mm. for being uh, really good early examples of seeing uh, extreme violence uh, in, in, <laughs> in media. And uh, Robocop, I, I think for me, always kind of stood out because... Somehow I ended up with an with a RoboCop action figure before I knew who RoboCop was. So it was it was um it was RoboCop, but it was without the visor, so it was the stretched face over the, the metallic skull um version of the character. And it was a cool action figure, but I had no concept for who he was for a couple of years. And so I just mixed him in with all of my Star Wars action figures that I had and I I like to. I was a big fan of Red Dwarf, so he kind of filled in as Crichton when I played um, when I when I was playing Red Dwarf with action figures as like a seven or eight year old. So my first uh, instance with RoboCop, my first interactions was actually having no idea who he was, and it was only when I was a little bit older. I think I was probably about eleven or twelve when I first saw RoboCop um, yeah. that I went, "Oh, that's that's who that action figure was." Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, like, like a lot of people, I think I watched it and went. That was really fun. Let's watch the sequels. And I think I was young enough at a time that the sequels were okay. So, yeah, it was it was interesting. I will uh, defend Robocop 2. Robocop 3, oh, uh, no, I saw that in the cinemas, and no, it was bad. 
Mm. Yes, I've I've not gone back uh, to to watch uh, either two or three actually uh, since since being a basically an early teenager. So I I am looking forward to when we eventually do do uh, Robocops two and three on on the program uh, just to see how well they have or haven't <laughs> aged. Two is still pretty good. It's not the same as Robocop. No. It's just I I was thinking about this earlier today. Uh, well, what got me on was Last of Us, because there is a sequel to Last of Us, which was unnecessary. And then I was thinking about Robocop, and I was thinking about other movies. That the, the, the initial game or movie, whatever it was, was so complete. You love the characters, you love the settings, you love, it's just perfect. It's just, mm, leave it. It is a complete picture on its own. But then inevitably they got to make a sequel. And mm. I always feel that no matter how good the sequel is... It's just never going to be on the same level. You just can't do it. I can't think of an example. No, it's it's this this the sequel curse is a kind of a known thing, and uh, mm. you're talking mm. about an era of uh, Hollywood where it's like, uh, unless they're like say, there's there's very few movies that were planned with a sequel in mind. I can think maybe like Back to the Future was one. That That's had a sequel probably book. why. That's probably why those movies don't lend themselves to sequels. Whereas nowadays, I think we have the opposite problem, where the uh, the franchise is the big thing. So every movie is a, a franchise starter. It's not a complete yeah. film. It's a, oh, people might like all these other characters. We could do spin-offs. So, uh, we have yeah. the opposite problem now. <laughs> yeah. May, may I throw out from from this time period an example of one film that old well, film series that bucked that trend. Uh, in Terminator 2. Hmm. Yeah, actually, yeah. But I think Terminator 2 stands out simply because it it did buck the trend. And also, there was quite a sizable gap. I think it was about eight years between the first Terminator film and the second film. Yes. And that's basically meant that they're, they're revisiting it not because it's like it's a quick cash grab because the, 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 you know, the zeitgeist moment of the popularity of the Terminator is gone. So for them to come back to it, um, for that sequel, it was because obviously James Cameron and, and the creative team had a very clear idea of what they wanted to do and make it really impressive. And for them, for them, it worked. Yeah, I'll say James Cameron is actually good at sequels because Aliens is obviously yeah, as good as Alien, very mm. different. But... Another one that he took mm. time. Uh, it mm. was about seven years, I think, between the first Alien film and the sequel. So yeah. I think it's more a case of if you give yourself the time or you're permitted the time to really think, okay, what is the point of making this, this new story with these same characters? I think that's where it works. Whereas perhaps mm. with something like Robocop 2, it was a little bit more, we have to do this now uh, because people yeah. won't want a Robocop film in 10 years' time. Uh, well, that's the, uh, the the big issue is that the, all of a sudden, like Robocop became this um, progressively more kiddified, child-friendly franchise that kept aging it down, like PGifying the violence to the point where you get a live-action Robocop series where you, the only time he pulls out a gun is to shoot a pile of crates onto some onto the bad guys' heads and dumb dumb shit like that. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> no, the funny thing you mentioned about uh, Terminator is actually that both Terminator 1 and 2 have sequel hooks uh, that's, that's, that, that was a thing like uh, the original ending of Terminator 2 actually had a concrete this is the end the robots have been defeated and had a flash forward to Sarah Connor in the future and like, you know, and like all the kids are growing up and doom and judgment day doesn't happen. Whereas they decided to make it ambiguous because also they kind of knew they wanted to do another one hmm. and that sucked. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's funny when like the creative team who takes the time to make a sequel and really put the time and energy and try and say something with it, it always ends up with a better uh, project than, Oh, we've got to crap out something in two years. It's just, mm. that's how movies go, get made. They have to have time to cook. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. So this is the minute we have yes. all been waiting for. I should mention, we've buried the lead here, but you want some <laughs> melty, toxic Avenger man action? Because <laughs> it's coming right up. It's it's Emile's last moments on Earth. Yeah, well, he he finally gets a bird flight uh, next uh, minute, but yeah, this is what 
when I first told you about the podcast, Stephen, this was the minute you requested, so I've always kept mm. that in the back of my mind. It was like, Thank I don't you. know, I'm two, very, two very years appreciative. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, yeah, it's coming up, and we, we had like an eight-month hiatus, and it's like, yep, we, we're doing it. to will get you on. So, I, I, okay, so why did you cho- choose the Melty Man scene, or is it just because it's just one of those scenes? For me, when when, it, when you first told me that you were doing a 60-second per episode um, re- review of RoboCop, um, it was the first scene that came to mind as going, I'd be really curious to to hear an episode about that. So to actually be on it is is very exciting as well. Because it, it, it is, with, with the possible exception of, and I'm, I'm not great with the names in RoboCop lore, but of the, the big robot that, says you have so many seconds to comply um, two thank you yeah. yes with the exception of that massacring the people in the boardroom <laughs> the, the toxic the toxic waste and then the guy getting hit and just disintegrated by the car yeah. was the thing that really stuck out to me my first time watching it as like an 11 12 year old is going oh my god that's so gross and cool that scared the shit out of me as a child i was probably not much older <laughs> probably 14 good oh no 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 yeah, my, my I just put down an iconic moment in a movie full of iconic moments. Like, mm. yeah, this is just one of those things. It's just like, oh, I, 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 literally, literally, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that before, and I can't even think of anything since that's probably not outside of like a B grade schlock film. Mm. Like, Hollywood doesn't do this type of thing. It came out of nowhere. I think that's why it's so shocking is there was no body horror of that description. You know, yeah. technically the whole thing is body horror because it's, it's cybernetics and, and all of mm. that. But it, that's yeah. all clean and, and sanitized, whereas this is just, oh, visceral up in your face <laughs> out of nowhere. Well, even like, you know, it's like Emile's flesh being so gross and distended is is horrific enough and then his mm. his ultimate fate is just like jesus the effects are so well done because they the, the attention to detail of okay the skin is still sort of holding together it's not mm. burns it's not peeling off it's it's just it lost mm. all its elasticity and it's sagging mm. and then it's fallen off the fingers as if it's slow cooked meat and it's it's uh, degloved as they call it and it's and... it's the slow reveal for for me because yes. I've, I've i've got this minute on loop as we're talking and it's that you don't see emil face on to begin with you see the back of his head and you can see yeah. that he's suffering from the most sudden male pattern baldness that, that's ever happened <laughs> Um, and, and then, yeah, you can see that his his hands aren't quite the shape that they were previously. And then the next shot that they cut to, it's him front on, but not fully front on. He's he's on a little bit of an angle, and yeah. you can see that the yeah the the skin on his fingers is starting to droop off, and it's it's swollen, and his mouth is is drooping down to one side, and he just looks like he is incredibly uncomfortable. Not not in pain, which I think is mm. interesting. But mm. just looks so confused, uncomfortable, and like the yeah. fact that that toxic waste has done that to him in such a short period of time as well <laughs> is is I think where the fear comes from. In in a, yeah. and again we we watched this when we were younger. I think we all thought that quicksand was going to be a bigger part of our lives than a problem. And I think toxic waste was one of those mm. things where I was like, oh, I better not fall in any toxic waste. I better keep an eye out for that. Yeah, you got to remember, like, this is the, uh, well, how many years after Three Mile Island and, like, the uh, the fossil fuel industry had incredibly ramped up uh, the paranoia of nuclear waste and nuclear energy, uh, especially nah, until nah, nah. the, oh, the China syndrome remember... came out. Sorry, Sorry, this just came into my mind. I have not thought about it in, I don't know, 30 years. The Secret World of Alex Mack. Does anyone remember that show? I know that was a show, but I can't say I've ever seen it. <laughs> I haven't seen it either. So she is she gets toxic waste dumped on her, and then she can turn into a quicksilver blob that crawls along oh, the ground. God. And <laughs> yeah, recall uh, that. <laughs> Alexandra <laughs> Mack develops it, powerful abilities after a chemical factory accident. She struggles to balance her ordinary life with extraordinary misadventures. As a result. <laughs> Well, here's the other fun toxic waste uh, superpower fact. 
the toxic chemicals that blinded Matt Murdock and turned him into Dare, Daredevil are the same toxic chemicals that mutated the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That is true. Hmm, I did not know that. Yeah, in the comics, because basically the TMNT, the original comic books, were basically a um, fanfic for uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil. <laughs> That's why the foot instead of the hand, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, and that and that's why Matt Murdock wears uh, tortoiseshell glasses, I presume. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 uh, harking. Backwards. It's all connected. It's all co- no. That's the other show that uh, we occasionally guest on. Oh right, yes, yes. True. <laughs> Shout out to Batman. But uh, no, the funny thing is, um, in that moment before the reveal, actually, no, just quickly about that reveal. I like how um, Emil. Um, oh god, I can't think of his, the actor's name, but um, yeah, he he's he doesn't quite know what's happening, and then he looks at his hands, and that's when he just starts making that noise, and it's like mm. great guttural. screaming. Yeah, I, I, oh, uh, Paul McCrane, uh plays, that's it. Plays Emil, yeah. That's it. Yeah, I I don't have IMDb up at the moment. I, I kind of get the ghost kind of. Checking all the IMDb names because uh, we we kind of gone through them all, mm. but um, there's a shot just before the um the, the scene you're talking about where it's um Emil like flops out of the uh, toxic waste and there's a smoke wall around. Uh, apparently, um, uh, Verhoeven was worried that uh, there was too much smoke in the shot. You couldn't see what was going on and. Uh, it act, and in the commentary, Ed actually remarks that it actually works quite well because you see that something is moving around in that muck, mm. but you can't quite see what it is. So, yeah, when you do get the reveal, it is a, it is a bit more of a punch as opposed mm. to just seeing this, like, melting man coming out of this uh, sludge, which is, yeah, probably what you get more now or mm. the next Marvel superhero. Mm. Or, or you would see the... the, the transformation process you, you would yeah. see that the fingers start to like come away from the bone and warp and, and do all of that hmm. i kind of feel that modern movies i know we we bag on modern movies a lot but i kind of feel <laughs> that there's less happy coincidences happy accidents you know yeah because it's just so much more structured I, it feels like there's less of a gamble with a lot of these movies at least from what i've seen oh there's also that thing where you got the uh essentially you now the response to people like cinema sin so people get really overly bent out of shape about having to explain everything in a movie mm. when it's fantastical less so in fantasy but like especially like monday sci-fi and stuff like they have like you know we did we really need an iron man scene okay it is cool do we really need a scene in iron man where he's building the costume and trying to explain what he's doing but it, it worked for that but like um there's other moves where they're just like, like the, like the, let's go to our regular punching bag, not quite yet, but like the remake of Robocop where they have to try and explain everything that about Robocop. And it's like, well, they didn't do that in the original because it wasn't necessary. I'm realizing that uh, a lot of modern media has turned into Metal Gear because Metal Gear, oh. in the middle of, you know, war, you'll have a character calling you on the code going, Snake. Did you know that bioluminescence works because of this very complex chemical procedure? I'm being fired at. What the fuck are you talking about? I think it all depends on the context, though, when it when it comes to the the storytelling. And I, I think, for, for hmm. example, with with the media audience that is as literate as it is today in certain texts, um, ah. your your Batman film doesn't need to explain how batman became you know how bruce wayne became batman we don't need to see how batman begins if you will yeah we don't need to see parents in an alleyway pearls being clutched a funeral sad young boy suddenly sad young man like we don't actually necessarily need that it's the same way how the um the the tom holland spider-man films didn't have the the uncle ben scene what they did which i thought was quite clever was they actually Mm. saved the uncle ben scene for the third film Uh, yes you just and I, I certainly had the experience of when that happened going, oh, I didn't realize we, we hadn't had yeah. this. I thought we'd just skipped over it. Um, but oh, no, yeah. it was the, essentially we had a three film origin story for this character, um, which was a very interesting way of doing it. Um, but for a lot of these properties and particularly for something like Robocop, which hadn't had a 
a film or any sort of connected big media in a generation. I think it does make sense that they explain that this is how this person becomes the RoboCop. But I do think that its effectiveness is is dependent on a number of factors, including uh, things that are in their control, like how well it's scripted, how well it's shot, but also things that are out of their control. You know, if you're doing this RoboCop film, it was 2014 was the remake, wasn't it? Um, uh, yeah, so yeah. yeah, so we've had five or six years for most of the audience that are going to the cinema at that time of superhero origin stories within hmm. the Marvel Universe. And that's essentially what you have with RoboCop is a kind of superhero origin story. And if it's not doing something that's quite new within that genre, it can you can sit there going, oh, why are we seeing this? Just get to the bit where he's a, a robot cop. I just want to see him be a robot cop. You know, that, that kind <laughs> of thing. That that wasn't my uh, gratis and yeah, I, I get the origin stories and stuff. No, the problem with Robocop is that it ends up being like an hour's worth of just useless filler when it's just this whole mm. ongoing thing about him and his family and it doesn't really tie together. Just again, a lot of it was kidification, like it's mm. just like it needed to the pacing in the remake is just god awful. It mm. just, it just really is. It we're literally at the point of the movie where they're trying to cram in the final act and a half of the original movie in eight minutes. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. And then, well, it's a th- mess. I mean, that that comes down then to the fact that it's it's not necessarily been put together well by the creative team. Whether that mm. is a scripting issue, or whether that is uh, an editing issue, or whether and perhaps this is something that's really hard to tell if it's a budget issue. Um, no, a lot of it was it, uh, producers from what we've been able to gather. Like the yeah, director it had an idea. Like there was a genuine idea. There was a genuine intention yeah. to do something interesting, and um, it got trampled on. Yeah. So that's that's the problem. It's just like it, it felt like this was a, a the remake was a movie that got destroyed by committee. So too right. many notes. That's okay. Oh, uh, this is an interesting note I got here. So um. At the beginning of this scene, there's a quick car chase. We can probably talk about that later because it's really not that important. Sweet car stunts. Murphy shoots uh, at Emil to distract him, which I love this bit. Um, think about the um, his gun. It's like when it shoots, you can hear like a three round burst in the uh, in the, the the foley in the sound mm. effect. But if you look at the windscreen. There's nine bullet marks. So does each bullet fragment three times? Or it shoots three bullets at once. And what I've noticed, because I've got it uh, frozen on my screen in front of me, is it, it appears in like a heart shape almost. It's like yes. drawn, drawn a little <laughs> it's love like mark. Like a shotgun where it breaks apart? Is that, is that how this works? But, well, but shotguns it's... don't break apart. They literally have pellets. It's like, yeah, and also they tend to be a bit more uh, evenly scattered. scattered than this. Whereas this, it's almost like he's tried to like shoot a love heart into the window. You know, <laughs> almost like he's going, you know, I love you. I'm sorry for what is about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, that might. I-, I love this little moment as well when um, Murphy does that little hop and jumps out of the way. <laughs> Yeah, he's not a very mobile character. Um, no, <laughs> but but which you know could could potentially be an issue for somebody in in law enforcement uh, who's apparently frequently in in, in the, the firing line and you know throw, shooting people in front of toxic waste. Because I'm sure if he'd got covered in that toxic waste, uh, his his mechanics would not be in a good way. No, probably not. Um, not at the moment where it's all kind of dinged up and shot to pieces. But he, he's. He's fine. He gets out of the way. <laughs> yeah, the very gentle hop. Just <laughs> it's just a lovely moment. In again, in a in a movie full of the of just lovely moments like this, and um, I I just had to remark upon it. Uh, I I do have some commentary and book notes uh, if we're running out of things to talk about. But um, um, so well, I was just gonna because I have to talk about the cars, obviously. But okay, I was curious yeah, yeah, yeah. to see. Because they've, they've built it on top of the SUX. They've built that on top of the body of a... Uh, I can't remember. But, you know, an existing car. Um, and I think it's just the front they've had to modify. And so in a scene like this where it's being whipped around, you're seeing it jumping around a bit. There's not any wobbling. So that is very well made because... Oh, hmm. man. 
Knight Rider. You look like crap. Fuck you, kid! Especially season one of Knight Rider. <laughs> the front of that car, the kit, is just the flaps are coming off. It's It changes from one scene to the next. So hmm. for a car that's not in this movie that much, they they did a good job with it. I will, I'll give them points for that. It, oh. The SUX doesn't suck. <laughs> what about the uh, van that crashes into the toxic waste disposal? Um, have you got any th- thoughts on the on how that has been constructed? We have oh. talked about the van before. Uh, yeah. No modifications on that except for just stripping back the paint and making it look all weathered and grungy and, and lovely. It does look like it was riveted together as opposed to constructed. I love that. I do. What I quite like is the, how the doors just gently open to let all the toxic waste down. Um <laughs> I think that's quite a nice feature that if your car does fill with toxic waste while you're driving, it has a vent system, which is very nice. Yeah. Well, just imagine if you, you know, you don't, you know, drive that into a pool as well. You know, it at least helps you get out, or even into a lake or a river. I mean, it's lucky it did, because if it didn't, poor Emil would have been stuck in there. He would have drowned and melted at the same time. Um, yes, one would solve the other. Yeah. So it's. Yeah, it's it's maybe I know what happens to him next isn't good, but maybe that was actually for the best, as opposed to you know going through the experience of becoming the soup that you were drowning in. <laughs> it's deep. It's metaphorical. Toxic soup. <laughs> Toxic soup is my punk uh, alt punk band. Mm. Uh, no, funny about the uh, talking about the car. So in the commentary, um, apparently Paul uh, Verhoeven wasn't. Uh, really all that comfortable with doing car chases. I don't think he had like ever done them or that before. Mm. Um, they don't really talk about it that much. Maybe it's in when we get more car chase scene later on. But uh, yeah, Ed also says that uh, he got more comfortable doing them at least by the time of Basic Instinct. Uh, uh, yeah. Just, I, I honestly can't remember a car chase in Basic Instinct, but let's face it, people only essentially remember one scene from Basic Instinct. That's that's because they had it on repeat. Yeah, not not famous so much for its car stunts as for an unfortunate spoonerism of that term. <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, I was going to say something similar, but yes. Mm. Basic Instinct and Fast Times at Ridgemount High. I think those are the two VHSs, VHSs that, worn out. that were just worn out but in one spot. Uh, under Siege. Oh, yes. I forgot, I forgot about Under Siege. So- some people, well, that's it. Yeah, it, there's a few few famous scenes, and that's one of them. That's mm. <laughs> just like, oh, under siege. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Mm. I don't. Which is this the Steven Seagal movie I'm thinking of? Yeah, it's the it's the scene where Rick Alaniak uh, jumps out of the cake topless. Well, stripping. Oh, stripping well, to there topless. you go. Because she was a former Baywatch star, and so of course it's like you know she went on to have a lucrative film career. In which I say she practically did under siege and not much else. Yeah, her, her character in that, I believe that was was it was, was, was it like the chef's birthday or something like that. It was something like oh, that. Was, I see Steven Seagal in a chef's hat, so I assume mm. so. Yeah. It was the I think it was the captain's birthday or the chef's right. birthday. And... Yeah. Actually, you know, that would make more sense because I don't know if anyone else on like a, a a military vessel would get away with or would have. I suppose the clout to get away with uh, hiding someone on a cake um, <laughs> and coming on board a military vessel. It was the pretense that the terrorists used to get on board is uh, bringing her on board and okay. uh, like her entourage, and then they hijack the the ship. So okay, yeah. we, I, I, again, it's been a very long time since I watched Under Siege, and I know it's not quite the point of this program. <laughs> um, but oh, we tangent like crazy. Don't worry. Okay, well, was her character in on the plot, or did she just think this was a, another cake gig? She was just a Playboy bunny hide for the gig. Right, okay. So she she wasn't part of this, this terrorist group. She had no, no. idea. She's the quasi-love interest. See, that... if you, I feel like, not, not to try and help out terrorists, but surely you would have a member of your group in the cake. <laughs> Comes out guns blazing. Yeah. <laughs> I was just watching uh, Hot Shots Part 2 before we started oh, recording this. And film. it's weird that everything we're talking about is referenced in that movie. Because there's oh, yeah. the, the leg crossing scene. There's the, the There is cake. Yeah. There is a few other things we met, and I don't know why. 
Oh, but, yeah. I mean, it does encapsulate everything of the 80s and 90s action films, so... Yeah, mm. I wish they... Even though, unfortunately, like, it still requires pretty much getting Charlie Sheen out of retirement, uh, I wish they would do Hot Shots 3 for no other reason just to make sure they have one up on Top Gun. And so they mm. can make fun of all these re- reboot makewalls where they drag the corpses of these actors out of retirement for one oh, last... No. It's not one last one, but no, they no. act like it's okay. one last one. I rescind that because they might have to drag the corpse of Lloyd Bridges out and no, no thank you. No, we, mm. don't, we don't need to say that. Yeah, I, I, I love Lloyd Bridges, don't get me wrong, but that's probably going a bit too far. Yeah, look, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah, and, and we'll subsequently burn it down. Yeah. <laughs> just use AI, we'll just deep fake it's fine. <laughs> oh, God. No, they get, um, oh, not, not, um, Jeff Bridges, his, his brother, Bo, 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 Bro- Bo Bridges, Bridges, yeah. That's it. Mm. He wouldn't be bad at it, actually, yeah. Yeah, getting Bro Bridges in to be Lloyd Bridges. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen him do comedy, so no idea. Yeah, I don't know if you can fund a comedy film based on the star cast of a retired Charlie Sheen and Bo Bridges. I, I don't know if that's quite going to get people excited, I'm afraid. Well, you could get him back with his former uh, two, two and a half men co-host who was also in Top... Sorry, in Hot Shots. Yes, as, that as ducky. I don't remember the accent. But yeah, I was surprised. Oh, they knew each other before two and a half men. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I, th- I actually was surprised when I saw two... Okay, we're getting way off topic, but... Uh... Yeah, maybe maybe it's Hot Shots colon two and a half men. Maybe two and a half men <laughs> is the sequel that we didn't realise. It's all the Hot Shots sequel. <laughs> Oh, that would be amazing. Mm. But it's also funny when you look at um, Hot Shots Two now. Uh, you see, like, it's like Ryan Styles is there, and you're just like, "Oh, fuck it, it's Ryan Styles. What mm. the hell is he doing in this?" Mm. Anyway, um, the only comment on the commentary I've got left is uh, Ed remarks that the makeup is by Rob Botin, who uh, was one of the. Uh, co-designers of I think it was co-designer on the Robocop costume as well so yeah great makeup I mean the thing with the makeup in in this film and we we see a little bit of it in this clip is I was always really impressed with the way that the face overlapped the mechanics and the mechanics overlapped the face Mm. Um, because particularly the first time I watched this as a a child going how did they stretch his skin over that and obviously it's not his skin it's It's it's, brilliant yeah, it's an effect, but it looks even now. Just I've got it uh, paused on the screen, and it looks seamless to to this untrained eye when it comes to makeup. It it's a really effective, simple um, like visual technique of showing just how inhuman this this character is in a physical sense. And and the mm. the whole design of RoboCop is even though it's so slow and ponderous um, and, and maybe not the most well-designed for, um, you know, the job that, that it entails, um, it, it looks great. It really does mm. look fantastic. The design of Robocop... Uh, the design of Robocop and Ed 209 are really fantastic. Like, visually... Uh, yeah, pr- practicality is one thing, but I don't think they were really thinking about that in the 80s. But, like, uh, like the silhouette of Robocop is just... Even without, like, you know, you, you can see what he is. Like, it's so iconic with the shoulders and the helmet. And, like, it's such a great piece of visual. Like, you you line a rubber cop with any other robot, droid, or whatever, and you, you get it. Like, mm. you get that's a man in a suit without, like, I mean... Yeah, it's uh, we, we've already harped on so much about that damn suit, and it's, it, it's clunky and everything, but... It's gorgeous. It really is. I think robots and aliens are the two hardest things to design because mm. there's just there's both too much freedom and not enough freedom in terms of what you yeah. can do, especially when you're dealing with a with a physical actor inside of it. So mm. the fact that Robocop, even all these years later, is still iconic. There's nothing else that looks like that. That is so Robocop and nothing else. It's brilliant. Oh, so you say about the, the the limitations and freedom. Um, one of my favourite stories of um, oh, I'm just trying to think of his his name. It's uh, something Jeffries, the guy who designed the uh, USS Enterprise for the for TOS. Well, shit. It's exactly what I was hoping to spare you from. 
Gotta get a Star Trek reference oh. in there. How he came about with that... I want to say Peter Jeffries, but it's... Uh, the Jeffries tubes are named after him. Uh, he actually... Matt Jeffries. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Um, he actually found every single f- image he could find of, like, a spaceship from, like, sci- you know, all from, like, the previous sci-fi movies, like, books and all that stuff, and he just basically put them on a wall and looked at it and went, that's what I'm not doing. Mm, I love it. And it's, and it's, yeah, because so it's, it's a lot of it was just, like, you know, what we, you know, normally think of, like, missiles and stuff like that, you know, tubes with fins and that kind of gear, and he was just like, that's not what I'm doing, and he then came up with the first design of the Enterprise, which was a sphere instead of a saucer, and then the second revision that got changed to the saucer, and that's, and it's still an an object that is so fundamentally this thing that it resonates sixty plus years later, and that's great design. Mm. Uh, sorry, I just had a moment of realizing there will be a point where Star Trek reaches one hundred years old, and well, I hope I'm alive for that. But that's that's a weird thought. That is bizarre. Yeah. Well, uh, sorry, it's currently six, uh, 57 years old, 66, so, yeah, nearly 60 mm. years old. No, it's Doctor Who is 60 years old this Yeah, it's, this, it's Doctor uh, Who minus yeah. three, is, is how I yeah. remember it. So, yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, 66 was the, the, the first appearance of both Star Trek and, indeed, the Enterprise, and I think that's a really key part as well uh, because obviously uh, just to use my my background as a uh, academic in science fiction just just for a moment um yeah sure one of the really sort of key fundamental things of um science fiction which lasts is it plays around with an idea at a time where the idea is starting to emerge and become mm. um significant to the society that it comes out of so um for example, something like the USS Enterprise is a great example because obviously Star Trek is first released in 66, so it's being made in the middle of the 60s um, when the country that it was made in the United States is part of the space race. And yeah. the idea that Roddenberry had of this this being one, you know, the era of like science fiction being popular in media and sort of replacing the Western in a lot of respects um but what it also did was it combined that with the look at the um the the social change and the the social situation in the united states at that time where there was a lot of civil unrest and so star trek really reflected that and i think again it it did something that no other science fiction show was doing roddenberry essentially did what jeffries did which was put everything up on the wall and go what isn't being done currently um, mm-hmm. When you look at something like RoboCop, I think RoboCop is very reactive to what the United States was like in certainly the, oh, yeah. the 1980s and a bit in the late 1970s. Um, you, you know, we, the first RoboCop is released while Reagan is still president. And, you know, I think we're still really picking apart the ideological and social impacts that Reaganism had on the United States and, and the Western world. Yeah. And the the fact that the future america that is shown in in robocop and specifically it's detroit i think it's really interesting that so much of robocop's identity is tied to one city as opposed to america in general and i think yeah. it's um it, it's really interesting that you see something like robocop and the design is quite unique but it's also tied to this idea of law enforcement becoming less personalized um, and we only have to look at what law, law enforcement issues exist today, both here in Australia, but more mm. specifically in America um, and other places around the world, and about how uh, ideology around policing um, has has changed and how um, communities react to it. And the fact is that in some places around the world, um, policing has become much more militaristic and more yeah. along the lines of the RoboCop model, um, which... It, I guess yeah. was something that was always present and always something that could have happened. It's it's not necessarily that these police officers are pulling, uh, you know, giant guns out of their legs. That's that's where the fantasy comes in. That's where the um, the imagination gets to to flourish. But the idea that underpins it is an idea that remains relevant today, even though this film is getting close to to forty years old now. Well, it's uh, interesting because yeah, like you look at the modern day cop uniform, you know, like. 
it's like in America, it's almost standard now for them to be wearing some sort of flak vest or, you know, protective gear. Like, yeah, the insane militarization of law enforcement in certain parts of America is like some some of these police departments have bloody um, military vehicles that have almost got to the point where they're getting tanks. Like, it's absurd. But yeah, it's Robocop is definitely a reflection on uh, corporate America, the um, Reaganism. Although, I'm just trying to say, I think, is it, was this made during the first term or second term of uh, A second Reagan? term it would have been. Yeah. And yeah, we're, we're still dealing with Reaganomics and uh, trickle-down economics, and people still insist that it works, even though the... Uh, the pay gap has radically increased between the middle class and the upper class, and, and especially the lower, lower class. It's, it's, it's absurd. And that's why we need a Robocop to uh, free us from these uh, corporate pigs who have just uh, taken a free service away from us, bastards. Mm. Um, did we want to talk about gaslighting Robocop? Uh, Speaking of I corporate have... bastards. I just have one quick note. Uh, in okay. the uh, book and the script, uh, apparently it's Lewis that actually uh, drives Emil into the toxic waste and not uh, Murphy, which I, I'm actually... I like that change. Uh, there's not really much to say about the book and the script because it's mostly just action stuff. So, yeah, mm. not really much. Yeah, so, now I'm thinking about the placement of those characters where they end up in the script. I mean, I'm just... I'm used to where it is, but... yeah. Uh, well, no, because I think Lewis ends up in the water first, and then Robocop shows up and does his, his Robo-Jesus. So, no, yeah, it has to be the way it is. Well, Lewis is chasing Bodica at the moment. Yeah. So, which makes more sense, you know, have the cop in the car chasing the crim in the car, as opposed to the cop in the car. The... Yeah, either way. Do you reckon that toxic waste is radioactive? It's at least toxic. It's yeah, definitely. It says right on the tin, toxic. So we know that. I've I've always assumed it was radioactive, but I think that's just because the media kind of, uh, at least back in that that time, would just they were just synonymous. Yeah. Well, I'll get into there are things that make me think it might be in the next minute. But we'll we'll leave <laughs> okay. that. Yeah, I, I think it it basically uh, comes down to whether or not toxic waste comes from a radioactive source because not all toxic waste comes hmm. from radiation um no. that that would probably be what it is i'm guessing based on what happens in this film that was radioactive toxic waste in which case i think there's some serious questions about how toxic waste is stored in detroit because um, <laughs> it, it should be much more secure certainly more secure than having a van accidentally driving into it than it is because that is yeah that is very bad oh s to be fair like there's no oh s uh uh issues here because it is an abandoned meal so like you know yeah probably someone should have cleaned yeah, it up but you know Ch- chernobyl's abandoned you can't just drive a truck up to it though you know like there, there are measures in place <laughs> there should be measures in place here even even in crime riddled detroit it should be close to inaccessible oh there's a great as in horrific uh episode of uh well there's your problem where um Oh, I can't remember which country it is. It's one of these uh, poor countries in South America where um, these bunch of scrappers uh, find an abandoned X-ray machine, but because they're all illiterate, they don't know what the warnings are, and there's no labeling like danger, toxic, mm. radioactive things. So they pull it apart, and they find this glowing blue powder, and they're like, oh, what's this? I don't know. Let's sprinkle it on some toast. Yeah, I mean, there are so many stories of people finding this. It's a warm little metal thing. Oh, well, you know, we're cold. We're out in the snow. Let's keep it nearby. No. Oh, well, look at, um, oh, 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 what's her face? Um, the first, uh, uh, the first radioactive, um, paint material. What's it called? Um, Ah. oh, the radium. Radium. radium Yeah, but like, um. Like, people didn't know it was deadly, so they would make all these watches and... Paint like, their teeth with paint. it. Yeah, and hmm. the people, the first watchmakers who were using that to paint the tips, they were, and I still do this occasionally, because they're using such fine brushes, you usually tend to 
point them with your mouth. You mm. you wash them out. You use your mouth to give them a point. Then you dip the thing because they've still got traces of fucking irradiated paint on there. So they were getting deaded as well. So yeah, it's just. Mm. We we love playing around with the radioactivity until we realise it's kind of bad. But but it's quite pertinent as well because the incident you're referring to in South America uh, was the was the Goiania incident. That's um, it. Yeah. So so that was something I, I funnily enough I did some research on as part of my PhD. Uh, ah. it, the Goiania incident actually happened in 1987, the same year yeah. the RoboCop came out. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, it is something where you know nu- nuclear waste and how nuclear waste was disposed or in this case um it was an unsecured radiotherapy um yes. piece of machinery um but the the fact is is um yeah the 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 way that nuclear waste had to be um stored and kept away from the public was part of it because i mean this this incident killed four people but contaminated yeah. a favela uh, of about yeah. two, 250 odd people were were affected by this um, and it was it was it was one of those instant instances where this happened for the first time in a really widespread way, and mm. it is why we have those practices today. And that's why you can't just drive a truck into it, Emil. <laughs> well, the uh, the wife of one of the scrappers was uh, carrying it around in a plastic bag. <laughs> mm. Yeah, <'cause laughs> and... as you say, they didn't know. They they didn't no, that's know. it. I'm not blaming them. It's just like. Holy crap! That yeah. it was actually that oh, yeah, there was, that... I don't remember what happened, but it was in Mexico, I believe, and the it was a whole family uh, and the mm. grandparents too. I believe the grandmother at least was living with them. The son finds this little metal thing in the front yard, brings it inside, and he's carrying it around the house. He's playing with it all the time. One by one, everyone in the family gets sick. Everyone dies. The only one who survives is the uh, is the father, the husband, and that's o- that's when they discover. Oh, this is radiation. Um, so they investigate the house and they finally dif- discover this little thing. Mm. Jesus Christ! That late, that he's lost everyone. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it was the 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 that incident uh, that we're talking about. It's actually what finally led the uh, nuclear powers to basically putting regulations to track and trace all radioactive material. Hmm. But it makes sense that then our our media is reflecting that. The fact is that a mm. film in the same year, uh, you know, it came out before this incident, but a film in the same year with, with Robocop, you know, uh, having this incident where, you know, even though it's set up a little bit like a Looney Tunes cartoon, that there's mm. this toxic waste that is there that is like a threat. We don't see toxic waste in a lot of our modern media as being a potential threat. We don't see it because it's not really on our minds as being mm. a threat. You know, that, that right now, um, I think you'll see a lot more stuff about communicable airborne diseases. You know, I think there's, there's a reason why the, the Last of Us did so well as a TV show in a post-COVID-19 pandemic world. Um, because we have more of a shared trauma and understanding of what these sorts of things can do to communities and to society. Um, it, it reflects... Yeah, that really hit differently. There were a lot of mm. things... I mean, it didn't play out, obviously, like it does in real life. But yeah, in the, in that first episode, it's just, oh, yeah, this is yeah. relatable. And particularly comparing it to when you... If, if you played the game before the, mm. the pandemic, like when you come to that scene, you're like... Yeah, I'm a bit more afraid of this now because we, we know why we should be afraid of these things because because they, 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 we have skin in the game. We have context. Um, and again... Yeah, I, it, so we don't have Cold War. The Cold War was all about nuclear Armageddon. We're all going to be mm. wiped out by that end. Mutually destroyed destruction. Yeah, I watch a lot of 80s mm. media and there's a lot. they're just so fixated on that. There's not a lot talk, of talk about disease or anything like that. And then... Uh, yeah, in the past decade or so, yeah, you got uh, Last of Us, Death Stranding, um, mm. The Walking Dead, just endless things uh, fixated on viral-based apocalypses. Mm. Well, it's better than the uh, the Arabs terrorizing us in, by flying planes into it, which is pretty much oh, not, yeah. post nine eleven. But but an an interesting consequence. Twenty four sure was a show, mm. huh? It, it definitely <laughs> was. An interesting consequence of that though is when you got the more nuanced uh, stuff, where it wasn't just going specifically. Oh, these people who are like these other people that did a real world bad thing, therefore must be bad. But you had a lot of text, particularly I'd say the twenty tens, where you started to see the fear of 
the other, but not being able to identify who the other is. Mm. Mm. Uh, and part of that does feed into the zombie case, the yeah. zombie media, because you don't know if somebody's infected or not until usually it's too late. Um, yeah. But also you look at things where, um, we, we, you know, there are uh, people who take on the identity of other people uh, or or can shapeshift or transform a bit like the... Um, Oh, the guys from Marvel that are green. Uh, the, is oh, it the Skrull? Changelings, but yeah, Skrulls. Yeah, the Skrull. Uh, you've got the Zygons in Doctor Who, which made a pretty marked comeback in the early mm. 2010s. Um, it is somewhat reflective of that concept without it being tied to, you know, the real world issue that was uh, what happened post 9-11. Yeah. Yeah, cool. So one thing I just uh, quickly bring up, because you're talking about, like, you know, toxic waste and all that, and... Courtney did bring it up very early on that Toxic Crusader. The Toxic Avenger was 1984, so predates this uh, one. And realistically speaking, probably closest we get to Emil's uh, thing of actually like a, a guy who gets covered in uh, toxic waste and is. I wonder if they were looking at that for inspiration. Probably, but uh, you know, instead of him like becoming a melty man, it just turns into like you know a gigantic muscle melted guy. And yes. that became a franchise that's, and like Robocop, turned into a kiddie cartoon with kiddie toys. So it's like <laughs> this like R-rated uh, exploitation, B-grade, like, cult classic gets turned into a kiddification. But, I mean, I had a Robocop action figure and I loved it. Yeah. So, you know, it's in, in my case, I'd say it's justified. I, I, I wanted a Robocop action figure so badly. I wanted a Robocop costume when I was a kid. I've got one now, so I'm living the dream. Yeah, I, I never... Uh, I had, so... I had a bootleg and it was kind Yeah, we delayed it long enough. Alex, how do you feel? I feel fine, Dr. Norton. Minute 103 begins with Rorschach about to put Robocop out of his misery, and hopefully us too. And ends with the <laughs> helicopter flying away from Robocop. Yeah, uh, my my thing is, Stephen, I only have one note because I refuse to do any more work on these goddamn movies. Um, <laughs> the only thing I had wrote down was Lewis did another thing and is immediately downed. Yes, he, that's what I had to say. He's, he comes to the rescue and then he gets immediately shot too. He's fucking useless. Mm. <sighs> so this is the, the remake, correct? Yeah. So f- yes. full disclosure, I have now seen one minute of the remake, which is the oh, minute, that's one that, minute yeah. too much that you sent me. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I must say, it didn't particularly grab me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't like, worry, you're yeah. not missing much. I'm guessing that. Um, I mean, my, my experience watching it was, oh no, Robocop's down, and um, that's that's an interesting suit design. I don't hate it, but it is pretty busted up, and I haven't seen what it's meant it to do. It actually looks good here, better okay. than it normally does, because I think when when you've got the missing arm, you've got mm. the visor all destroyed, it mm. looks more convincing as a robot. It looks really cool. Mm. Otherwise, yeah. he just looks like gay Batman. I don't know. <laughs> and by gay <laughs> Batman, I mean... Um, Bat DSM. <laughs> oh, God, hang mm. on, no, that's a very... I'm sorry, I'm going to make reference to a very obscure anime. Never mind, just don't <laughs> don't worry about it. But it does look kind of like Gay Batman. So. And the other thing I learned was that Michael Keaton is in this film. So I'm like, yes. oh, okay, he's all right, you know, having a Batman in there. That's that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, Michael Keaton's one of the best things in this movie because it, it's Michael Keaton. Mm. But yeah, the, the, the clip I was like, oh, this is... There's no toxic waste in this whatsoever, so it's automatically not as good as the 87 version for me. Well, here's the funny thing. The scene that we're watching here is essentially the scene that happens in the original movie half an hour ago where um, Robocop finally confronts Dick Jones and Dick Jones uh, executes uh, Directive 4. This is this scene less than 10 minutes before the end. Hmm, I see what you mean about the pacing, then, because uh, yes, that's yeah, that's a little that's a little bit late. <laughs> yeah, it's we're literally trying to catch up with like twenty or well, thirty odd minutes worth of plot in. Uh, yeah. It's it's just not good. And yeah, this is like like second or th- no third or fourth appearance of Lewis in this film. Like Lewis is such a non character hmm. that it's like 
we were legitimately going, is Lewis even in this movie throughout the rest of it? We cannot remember. Mm. I, I will say, Joel Kinnaman, looking at him in just that minute, um, I'm like, actually, that's he, he, he's got the right look for a RoboCop, uh, for a RoboCop yeah. lead. Um, yeah. yeah, I was looking at him going like, actually, yeah, I could see this. Because I, I did watch one episode of Altered Carbon um, when that first came out. And it, it he's wasn't really not bad in it. He's yeah, it, that show wasn't really my 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 style or my my speed. But I didn't dislike his performance and seeing him in in this sixty second clip of the film, I'm like, you know what? That's actually not the worst casting that they could have done in twenty fourteen. So I'm <laughs> I'm a little curious to see how they messed this up, <laughs> but uh, but not curious enough to actually go and watch it. I'm afraid. No. I'm trying to think. I think it was Niall that said, like, he's basically the equivalent of a piece of toast. Like, <laughs> he is toast just is white nice. bread this, in this toast. movie. Yeah, toast can be fine. But yeah, I, sp- but I like, suppose an hour and a half of toast, maybe not so much. Like, well, I guess he's toast after the car bomb. Oh, that's the other thing. He doesn't get murdered like Murphy does. He gets car bombed and he's still technically alive and he's right. still technically Murphy at mm. all so they don't even wipe it's it's bad it's, it's okay. really bad okay. i hate myself for coming up with the pun altered car bombed in my head <laughs> no no i i, I think so i'm so gonna sorry. make i think i'm gonna make bat dsm the uh the, the title for this episode <laughs> oh god that's gonna that's gonna scratch some heads <laughs> I think we're all uh, done and getting close to an hour, and I'm sure uh, Steve yeah. has got more important things to do. But yeah, uh, probably get going. Any, any final thoughts on Robocop, or should we just want to get straight to the plug-in? Oh, I, uh, I'll just say that I, I really enjoyed watching uh, this this minute of Robocop on loop, uh, as we've been discussing, <laughs> uh, because it, it is making me want to go, oh, I, I kind of want to see, see more of this. Um, and mm. I, I have... I, what, I did find a clip that did uh, satisfy my needs for what's coming up in the next episode where um, we, we get a fine mist of a meal uh, created <laughs> by by uh, Kurtwood Smith. So um, I, I'm oh. looking forward to hearing how that one goes next next time out. But uh, yeah, Robocop, a fun film. Mm. And it's perfect in every way. As someone who studies sci-fi and, and as, you know, an, an, an academic and a scholar, I'm sure you can appreciate the deep uh, philosophical and messaging while you're going, yeah, you blow him up. Well, yeah, I mean that that's just it. I think I think the reason Robocop, the first film, is is iconic is because it struck a chord with people at the time. Um, hmm. it, it really worked uh, in, in sort of combining you know the the critique of what society was like at the time and where it was being projected by the people that made the film and at the same time being entertaining being fun you know hyper violence in the 1980s was really interesting because there was a real well not i shouldn't say that there was a real craft to it because there is still a real craft to how it's done it's just done differently mm. but robocop i think is a really great example of um, using filmmaking techniques to make something fantastical and honestly horrific. Um, hmm. You know, the idea of somebody melting and being exploded when a car hits them or people being shot to death in the manner that a lot of people are is not... If that was in the real world, you'd be horrified and traumatised for the rest of your life if you survived the experience. But it, as a piece of entertainment, uh, it's it's something that is we are able to enjoy because we are able to go... We can appreciate the craft that has been put into creating this, particularly with mostly practical effects, as in this film. Mm. So, would you like to uh, plug anything? You've, we've talked about the podcast, so plug away, Patreon, and all that stuff for you. Yeah. So, um, if if you like uh, the sound of this voice talking about the in, the entire minutes of a film, uh, as opposed to just one, uh, we do uh, a weekly program called the Cinema Catch Up Club. It's been running since twenty seventeen. Every week, uh, as was said earlier, we watch a film. Uh, with two guests uh sometimes those guests are simon uh so far those guests have never been courtney but who knows it might be in the future mm. uh but it's always somebody who has seen the film and somebody who has not 
we get together and before we watch the film we talk for about five ten minutes uh to the person who hasn't seen it going okay what are you expecting from in this case let's say robocop you know what do you know about robocop and whether or not they've heard about it or they know absolutely nothing about it it's it's all completely fine uh, we get someone who's seen it before and we go okay without spoiling it um what's this film about what can we expect and then we pause the recording we watch the film and as soon as the film is done we start recording again and we review it in the immediate aftermath which for certain for some films is um, incredibly tricky at the start of the year we did um known schlock uh, movie cannibal holocaust uh, let me tell you <laughs> That was a tricky one to do immediately after watching oh. it. Uh, there was, yeah, that was that that one was was pretty rough. Um, but yes, we we review the film uh, and we we usually have quite a lot of fun doing it. Uh, that is available on all good uh, podcasting services: iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, whatever it is that you're using. Uh, we can be found there, uh, and we do have a Patreon, as uh, Simon said. Uh, you can become an official member of the club. For as little as a dollar a month, just go to patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast. That's CCUC podcast or search for the Cinema Catchup Club in Patreon. And uh, there are bonus goodies and features, uh, bonus episodes, that sort of thing. And if you're just after general news and updates, uh, we do have a Facebook page. You can search for the Cinema Catchup Club there. And uh, we post when new episodes go up every week in case you're not subscribed. And that's a great way to get in there and meet the community. And you can weekly, uh, monthly vote on an episode, or you could do what I do and just choose one movie for five years. <laughs> yes, we did get it. At, we did get it this year, though. Uh, Simon, oh. uh, who is one of our wonderful patrons, uh, for every year we we do an Australian Film Month, and as part of that, um, we let the audience. Um, vote on which film we're going to watch uh, and the patrons actually get to nominate what films go on the list and simon has for five years been putting forward hercules returns uh, a classic australian <laughs> comedy for australian film month and this year he got his wish uh, everyone voted for it and we watched it and it was a really it was a really good time i i really enjoyed hercules returns yeah i gotta think of a new film oh one to do God, next. i haven't thought about that movie in forever it's great <laughs> And uh, I just had a look because uh, I've, I've got my spreadsheet of scores open just in case you're curious. Uh, out of 10, apparently I gave Robocop 7.5 out of 10. So, what? Did, did, yeah. Did pretty Get good on this podcast. Oh, <laughs> I, I can be pretty harsh, Courtney. That's the thing. Like, apparently. Yeah. Jesus. Well, if, by comparison, I gave Hercules Returns five and a half out of ten, and I just said yeah. that I enjoyed it. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that one's fair. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yes, no. Uh, admittedly, the other guests on RoboCop, um, what, let me just pull that back up. Uh, they were perhaps a little kinder to it. Uh, in fact, our guest who had seen it did give it the the appropriate ten out of ten uh, that it deserved. <laughs> yeah, um, and our guest who hadn't seen it before actually gave it eight out of ten. So uh, RoboCop did quite well. I, I was the curmudgeon, apparently. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For me, not enough toxic waste exploding scenes. That that was my problem with it. Fair enough, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, nine and a half, uh, nine and a half, uh, one and a half hours of uh, toxic waste. I, I guess that's pretty much a trauma film at that point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but again, thank you for joining. I'm sorry it took so long, but uh, it's it's been a blast. It absolutely has. And again, uh, strap in everybody for next week. You're going to watch a guy uh, <laughs> explode, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, it leads me to say, where can we find you, Courtney? You can find me at TraviantDesigns.com, T-R-A-V-I-A-N. That's where I put all my art and cosplay and what have you. And I am Courtney and Ivy on Instagram. Oh, and uh, Courtney Colson on YouTube. And I guess you can find me at uh, Painting With Night on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, not really much else. I do have a YouTube channel, but yeah, no one looks at that. Uh, but more importantly, yes, like the things Stephen said earlier, Spotify, Apple Podcast, um, iTunes. Oh, that's still Apple Podcast. Whatever it is, all the podcasting services, this still goes up on YouTube. Uh, by the time this goes up uh, we should have restarted um so yay we're we're live ish for now hopefully uh i i guess uh 
do the like, share, subscribe, bullshit, all that lovely uh, thing that the algorithm likes, because the algorithm owns our souls. And, oh, you don't know about this one. We have an end ritual. So, oh, yes. so all I have to say to Courtney is, uh, until next time... Paging Mr. Robocock. Paging Mr. Robocock. <laughs> I'm not sure if I can even explain it with context. <laughs> Look, um, you don't have to. I, I'm, I, I'm happy to just put that. I'll, I'll save that for my next fee, the dream, and just Kiwi's write it off. big adventure. I'll just. I'll, there's a clue. There's a clue. I got. I got. I, can... I got the the paging, Mister Herman. I got that oh, okay. bit. But uh, okay. I'm just. I'm just. I'm still. Oh, the rest to... of that. Oh no. no, no. Yeah, it's <laughs> that bit I got. It's 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 the it's the Robocock specifically that I'm, I'm sort of <laughs> going. Well, mm. well. <laughs> I'm gonna stop recording. <laughs> we can explain it. <laughs> Maybe.